your prayer. I pray that that faith that you have acted on will stay with you, remind you that it is not in your hands anymore right now. Because that is what it means, that that which you're carrying and it is heavy on you, he says, bring it to me. And he says, when you bring it, it's like you take this bottle to Mr. Kaliva and in exchange, he gives you something. He says, in exchange, he's going to give you rest. He's going to give you rest. That is, what, that is a promise. When we pray, that is what you get in exchange. In exchange of the worry, in exchange of the fear, in exchange of the anxiety, in exchange of the unknown, you get back rest. You get back peace. The Bible says in verse 14, we are going to read together and then we'll sit down and we'll take a few more minutes and then we'll be done. My screen here is uh, blank. But if your screen there has something, then uh, we are okay. Does your screen have something? It does? Okay. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 2, we are starting from verse 14. Verse 14. The question, what is the use or profit, my brethren, for anyone to profess to have faith if he has no good works to show for it? Can such faith save his soul? So it is a question, a question that you would definitely want to pay attention to. Guess we're taking a quick pause. I, I noticed that the youth are exiting. May the good God go before you and your teacher that he will impart walking through your teacher exactly what he has purposed for this day. Through Christ our Lord, we have prayed for you. Amen. As the youth exit, we are going to take this scripture together. Because we're going to have to come up with some uh, smoother transition for the youth to go. I will chat about that with the youth pastor. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 2, we are reading verse 14. It starts with a question. What is the question? We're going to start from verse 14. Let's start together one more time. The question is here, and this question, I want you to stay with it. The question is, what is the use or profit, my brethren, for anyone to profess to have faith if he has no good works to show for it? Can such faith save his soul? It is a question. And verse 15, verse 15 says, If a brother, goodbye, keep yourself warm and well fed without giving him the necessities for the body, what good does that do? There's another question. This is uh, the style of James. He always asks so many questions, very sharp-pointed questions, and he wants you and I to really, really pay attention to how we answer that. James was the brother of Jesus. They have a way of asking very sharp questions, and they're meant to really get us to pay attention, to wake up, to think, to act. Verse 17, he says, so, also faith, if it does not have works or deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself is destitute of power, or it is inoperative, it is dead. And verse 18 says, but some will say to you then, you say you have faith and I have good works. Now you show me your alleged faith apart from any good works, if, if you can, 
and I, by good works of obedience, will show you my faith. Now listen to this conversation to which James uh, says also, verse 19, well, you believe that God is one, you do well. So do the demons believe and shudder in terror and horror such as make a man's hair stand and end on end and contract the surface of his skin. Verse 20. <laughs> Let's pause here one second. How can I Verse 20. Are you willing to be shown proof, you foolish, unproductive, spiritually def deficient fellow? Are you demanding for proof? Mami chisitu, akubuza nti, oyagala, oyagala, roo mtu wenda, wenda uli dabuza, yesu bu, oyagala kumala kumala banga yamba di kanzu akuitaka oli, yoko manyenti wali. James is asking, you, you, what kind of evidence do you want to believe the things that I'm telling you? Let's read one more time, verse 20. Are you willing to be shown proof, you foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient fellow, that faith apart from good works is inactive and ineffective and worthless? Well, he goes ahead and actually gives you the proof. Here is the proof, verse 21. We're going to read and then we'll sit down. Was not our forefather Abraham shown to be justified, made acceptable to God by his works when he brought to the altar as an offering his own son Isaac? He's asking, isn't that when he was coined or he was labeled a man of faith? When? When he acted, when he acted, when he did, so did, so doing. So when he did the thing as a sign of obedience to believing that God will provide, as we find out in, if we read that story, that is when he was coined to be man of faith, to be righteous. Verse 22, he goes to say, you see that his faith was cooperating with his works. You see what? You see that his faith was cooperating with his works. And his faith was completed and reached its supreme expression when he implemented it by good works. Verse 23. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in or adhered to, trusted in and relied on God. And this was accounted to him as a righteous as righteousness, as conformity to God's will in thought and deed, and he was called God's friend. The Bible says in verse 24, you see that a man is justified or pronounced righteous before God through what he does, and not alone through faith, through works of obedience as well as by the by what he believes. And verse 25. Another example he gives you here, you who are looking for evidence, you, you who need proof. He says, so also with Rahab, and sent them away by a different route. Isn't that when she was considered justified or righteous? Verse 26, he concludes by saying, for as the human body apart from the spirit is 
lifeless. So faith, apart from its works of obedience, is also dead. Father, as this word comes, may it impart, may it transform, may it do what it, you have sent it to do. For you say of it that when you send it, it just cannot return void. It can't go back without accomplishing that which you have sent it to do. We receive it, and even as I stand here to deliver it, I pray that I would only be just a vessel, everything about you and nothing about me, praying that your people will hear and receive with clarity that which you have intended for our ears tonight. We thank you, we bless you, and even as the word comes, God, I pray that your presence will be so tangible for every single one of us, that we will rest in knowing that you're here with us. Amid is all the things that would compete for our attention, May you cause us to subject our thoughts. May you cause us to cause our thoughts to submit to your word tonight. We give you praise. We give you all our worship. Have you this word? Through Christ our Lord we have prayed. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you haven't done so already. Welcome to Dominion Church International Toronto. Uh, we, uh, those of you who are online, we are standing here on the land of the, uh, I need to get that uh, properly. Uh, Freeman, you need to get me that declaration. So uh, whenever I need it, I can uh, properly say it. Uh, the, the, the people on whose land we are standing, the Mississaugas. Never taken a moment, remember that that's a moment of gratitude every time some of you might think that that's a political statement, but there's a deep level of gratitude in that, that you acknowledge that if it wasn't for these people, maybe we wouldn't be. If it wasn't for whatever sacrifices they made, maybe we wouldn't be able to stand here. There's a big element of gratitude there when we acknowledge the people that have lived before us. The Sunday we took some time to really take the minute to appreciate and acknowledge the founders of this church, Pastor Rose and Robert Kaziwe. And we do definitely take the minute to acknowledge their sacrifice, to acknowledge their... <laughs> so uh, so don't, don't be so caught up in the whatever reasons you have encountered this thing done. But right now, I've just been led by the Spirit to do it in honor of the message that we are talking about this entire week, the message of greater people. That, and this is what it says. For those of you who know nothing about what I'm talking about, I am talking about the people, the original people who occupied this land. The original people who occupied this land. It says, with gratitude and respect, I thankfully live, love, and labor on the traditional territory of the Ash, Ashnabek, Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, the Hodinawsani, and the Huron, Wendat, and Metis Nations. Those people, because they toiled, because they, they lived before us, we are able to live in this very, in the geographical land. I'm talking about the geography of this land that you and I are standing. It is appropriate to give credit. It is appropriate to be thankful, to be grateful as we have been talking the entire, the entire week. Welcome to Dominion Church. 
It is my pleasure to uh, stand before you this afternoon as we take the minute to appreciate and take in what God is speaking to you and I tonight. We do have a title for our message, uh, if uh, Benjamin has it there. He's going to help us to read it. Well, look at that. What is the title for our message today? Faith is a verb. If you just take that and try to really to drink some water with it, it's enough for you to really uh, do something about the message for the day without even me saying any more, any more thing about it. Uh, now, I'll give credit to somebody. I don't know who the author is, but I was sitting uh, in uh, one of these offices at, uh, at uh, the spiritual care department of Scarborough uh, with my supervisor who was just sitting there. And I noticed uh, in his bookshelf, so the many books he has, so I noticed this particular book, this particular title, and it really caught my attention because it spoke so much just in uh, those four words. I thought about it for so long, and this week it just uh, somehow it came to me in a, a very important uh, timing. Uh, there are some specific moments uh, during the week at some point when I very suddenly seek the Lord for what he wants us to hear or say or talk about on Sunday. And this came uh, as loud and clear. At first, I didn't really quite understand that it was for the day. But then as days went on, it became clear. Because for one, I was actually not supposed to be uh, preaching today. If you have been attentive to uh, the schedule, uh, Pastor Peace usually preaches on uh, the third Sunday of every month. I want to stand here, ask you to uh, keep her in your prayer. She's getting better, but she had uh, the shakes. She uh, wasn't feeling very well, and she decided to rest, and that is okay. It is okay. We thank God that we are actually able to do something like that. A uh, moment of gratitude now. There was a time in the life of Dominion Church where if the pastor was sick, there was no sermon. In other words, the other way to say that statement is that the pastor was not allowed to be sick. <laughs> there was times like that. Thank God that that's not where we are right now. If I am sick next Sunday, we definitely would have a full-blown service the same way we would have had it. No, no, this, this is the reality of life. Mr. Peace was, she was supposed to be here. She, she wanted to be here. She actually planned to be here. But then at some point during the week, yeah, we resolved that no, she wasn't, she wasn't going to be able to be here. And that is okay. But for me, my moment of gratitude is to know as a pastor that if one pastor is sick on any given Sunday, that is not the end of the church. There was a time when that would have been the end of the church. So we thank God that he has slowly by slowly walked with us, and we are at a place where such things are not the case anymore. There was a time when we were not sure I could go on and on about so many things, so many acts of faith. So many acts of faith. And you know that once you say that, you have really fully defined what he means when he talks about faith. Let me take you back to that scripture that we just read. He talks, uh, James chapter, we read chapter 2, 
And what I want, where I wanted to take you is uh, this place where he, he gives you and I a, a very, verse 17. So he defines faith as deeds and actions of obedience. Paul did the Mugans. Shouted when we were So I also love where I remember some some of you shouted when we read that that when Abraham responded to the instruction that God gave him. Remembers that instruction as we're gonna read it. Let's read it in Genesis chapter twenty-two. What was the instruction? The instruction was to go and sacrifice his beloved son Isaac. As he responded with a yes to that, he was walking in faith. But he was acting. He was doing what he has been asked to do as a sign of the faith that he has in the one who has asked him to do that. When we look at the, the life and the, the, the story of Dominion Church, there are many moments where a man or a woman or a group of people had to take a step of faith. Now what they were doing by the stepping, and I mean in a very literal sense, by lifting up their foot and stepping and moving, what they were doing was a, a demonstration of obedience. It was an act of obedience to what they have already believed, what it was the belief that if God is asking us to, <laughs> to move from a place where we've been paying uh, $2,000 to a place where now we have to pay $6,000. Even though we don't know, as uh, I was put on the task to explain, Pastor, how are you going to write that check with $12,000? Because first and last, you have to put $12,000 on the check. As I was put on the task to explain how I'm going to do it, that act of writing that check. Not 100% knowing that in that moment we know where it's going to come from. That act was an act of faith. But don't miss your words. It was an act. It was an act. And this is what James is trying to drain and down into your spirit to hopefully, hopefully by the end of uh, the, uh, these are a few minutes that we have together. You will have moved yourself from that category of people that James wants to ask. That you foolish person. What kind of evidence do you want me to give you to understand that faith without works or works without faith, those things, you don't separate them. He's given you an example of Abraham and we're going to, let, let's walk it. Let's walk the example of Abraham. Chapter 14, chapter 22, verse 1. Let's read the story. Probably that's the only story we'll read as, as just to respect what James is doing. He's saying to you, and uh, here, if you need a, a, a piece of evidence, here it is. And what is that piece of evidence? Here is the story. Now, this is a story that happened. The Bible says, after these events, God tested and proved Abraham and said to him, Abraham, 
and he said, here I am. Imagine that attitude, yeah. God calls you and you don't second guess who is calling me. You just say, here I am. How I pray, Kathy, that we get into that kind of attitude. When God calls you, you don't second guess. Alan, kama naku ita nagamba jango kolechino, atina utandiko kutunuleno neri. Before you know, iri jotunude, atawali yechi kusise. <laughs> Sister Daisy, come on up to Machino, Nenoga can so Kanzije. Come to Bamgamba Kanzije. Come up, Bamgamba. Yeah, yeah, present, sir. Reporting for duty. That is how you respond to God. This is what Abraham does. Now, many of you, many of us have admired Abraham. Mubigambo, Gatumogeta Kongani, Tatawachi, Waba Kiriza. It sounds sweet as we talk about him, even in our prayer. Sometimes people are praying and they make that reference. But try, try to live it out for once. How does he respond? I didn't even realize that uh, this is a, a pause that we'll be making. But it's beautiful to read the Bible slowly. With your heart, not just with your head only. With your heart. So beautiful, the things that you find. How does he respond? Here I am. No questions, no buts, no second guesses, no nothing. He just responds with, yeah, I am. I was uh, visiting in uh, one of my adventures of my work, and one of the issues that this uh, couple had, says, Eddie, in this home, there's this thing, the but, yeah. So I hadn't understood what he meant. I'm like, what do you mean, but yeah? No, 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 it's the other way around. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I'm like, what, what do you mean, yeah, but? And he says, well, uh, as a man here, I don't even uh, know how to explain this to you, but many things that I will say to my wife and my children, and sometimes they are very important, they will say, yeah, but then they say, but. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so there's the yeah, but. He was hoping that this is one of the things that they they work on as a family to, to not do again. Don't say, yeah, but. Because when you say the but, you have, you're as good as saying no. You might as well just say no if you're going to say no. But don't say, yeah, but. So we don't say, yeah, but to God. Right, Sister Miriam? We don't say, yeah, but to God. We say, here I am, use me. Isaiah Yagambacha, send me, send me. Because he heard that God was looking for those to send and says, here I am, send me. Verse 2, verse 2, what does it say? We're going to read together up to verse 14 and we will go back to James. Because I want you to understand that this is the example that James gives us as a piece of proof that what he's talking about, faith and works have to cooperate. Otherwise, it is, uh, uses the word destitute. Otherwise, it is dead. And he points us to this as an example. Those of you and I who are always demanding for evidence. Show me where I can take that example. Show me where it says that faith and deeds have to go together. James takes you and I to this place. God help you and I who have demanded for that kind of evidence. 
we were appreciating uh, the journey of the children of Israel after they had come from a captivity. And we noticed the amount of times God was uh, reminding them to remember. But there's a place where he talks to them that, okay, now you're, you're, you're saying you're so fearful. Have you completely forgotten that it was me during those 40 years who led you through it without all the things that could have happened? Now you're going to behave right now that you're in this moment of fear. You're going to behave as though you have never been in a moment of fear and I carried you through it. God help us, you and I, who have lived in ways that demonstrate that we have completely forgotten that it was God himself that helped us. Uh, Freeman, could you please? What does it say in verse, verse 2? Thank you. God said, what was the verse 1? Verse 1 is talking, God tested Abraham, and this is how he tested him. He says to him, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This, 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 this. I need the Holy Spirit here to God to, uh, to guide my speech. There is a reason for these little uh, words that are included in this story. Because he could have said that God said to Abraham, take your son. But he adds, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I hope uh, when God is thinking of you as a parent and your children, he will use those words. When God is thinking about you and how you relate with your children, would he use the, those words, that whom you love? He will. God bless your soul. Would your children give the same report or answer if I was speaking to them? If I was to be speaking to Marvin right now, asking him the exact same question, I wonder if his nod will be as strong as yours. I pray that it will be. Parents, that message is for you and I. That in our relationship with our children, when people are trying to honestly just describe it, they might use words such as that. Your son tend to whom you love. We were trying to appreciate that this was not... I was trying hard not to say this word, but can't not, not say it. This was not just some random son. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's, that's what I'm interpreting from these uh, extra words that are added onto this instruction. Take your son, your only son Isaac, mentions his name even, and he says, whom you love. So just appreciate that this, is what, this was not some boy in the home that Abraham didn't really care that much about. Or, those, or one of those children where you, know, you say to yourself, you know what, if he was to go, I'll be fine. <laughs> Not like dying, but go, leaving the home. I hope no parent ever wishes a death on their child to the point of saying if he was to die, I wouldn't miss him. 
these things have happened, these things I have heard, sometimes spoken in our moments of anger. I've heard these words spoken. A father saying to his child that I will never step foot at your graveyard. I know. My sister is shaking her head. I'm like, God forbid. That's right. God forbid. So we, we, we all know that this was not some some boy sitting around the house that this father didn't care for. No, this is a boy. He was the only son, first of all, but also it is a son, as the Bible describes, whom he loved. I pray that as God thinks of you and how you relate with your children, he can say that, oh, your son, your daughter, whom you love. And then he keeps on uh, laying down the instruction and says, and go to that region of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell you. We are reading the story that James is pointing to you and works needing of proof that what he's talking about when he talks about faith and works needing or can only be complete when they work together. This is a story that he gives us as a piece of evidence, as a piece of proof. For those, but I want you to, be, to pay attention that he doesn't necessarily uh, tell this to us because he feels that it's necessary. He tells this to us because <laughs> if you pay attention to how he opened the question, how did he refer to that person who is demanding for evidence? Yeah, he's a foolish goat, like my son uh, says sometimes. <laughs> okay, you foolish bastard, what kind of evidence? do you need from me to appreciate that what I'm talking to you about is true? That is when he takes us to this story. So it's not like he's using this as a message that he had intended to, to talk about, but he's speaking it in the context of that question. Uh, my brother puts the question back up there. What is the question here? He says, are you willing to be shown proof you foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient fellow, that faith apart from good works is inactive and ineffective and worthless. What is the message for our title today? Faith is a verb. You can go on and on and on. You can write books. You can speak. Some of us are gifted in speaking so many words. You can go on and on and on speaking about how much faith that you have. But when you don't, when you don't lift the finger, as Jesus talks about the Pharisees, he said to them that they go around teaching people, but they won't lift a finger to do any of the things that they talk about. So if you won't lift a finger, your faith, as the Bible has said here, is dead, is ineffective, is unproductive. Are there some things that you have believed on, but you know for a long time you really need to take the first step? I want you to think about those things. Think about those things. Don't, don't try to justify them. 
I, I think it is on this pulpit before where I have stood and said to you that you cannot justify, you cannot change what you justify. Maybe I need to take a minute on that. You can't what? You can't change what you justify. If you can keep coming up with all sorts of reasons to explain why that thing is happening, you're not going to change it. Because if you're making up reasons for it, in, in some sense, at some deep level, you're saying, no, 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 I, I need to continue doing this. But when you release it, when you let go and you accept that, no, this is something that I, this is an area that I need to, to take a step. Then you are on your very, uh, very sure deal uh, journey towards changing or conquering whatever that thing is. The Bible says, uh, let's go back to the story. Let's complete the story. And then we'll go back to James. James asks a series of questions. And today I want to pose those questions to you as well. And allow yourself to really, really take the time with those questions. Let's go back to verse 2 now as we continue to read this story. The Bible says, God say, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to that region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of these mountains of which I will tell you. May I encourage you to get in the habit when the scripture is there and we are reading it. Open your mouth and read it. And read it for yourself nice and loud. Especially now since we, we can use the screen, we are reading the same version. So that you actually participate in your reason for coming here. Don't just let your reason uh, find you on your chair. Participate in it. So when the scripture is posted there, actually actively read. Actively read it. Uh, that is going to help you actually in many ways. You will take it in, but also it will help you to uh, stay awake. It will help you to, <laughs> to help in many ways. Be present. Be present. I am aware that there are many things that are competing for, for your mind right now. I give you the permission, activate that power that you have in you to subject those thoughts under this word. Verse 2, what does it say? Reading both of us, three of us, all of us, nice and loud. Verse 2, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of those mountains which I will tell you. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose. Patrick, those words mean that once the instruction came, the first thing he did as soon as he woke up was to do exactly what the instruction. He didn't try to do any other things because the moment you try to do any other things in between the instruction and the, inst and the act, it is very, very possible that you will wonder. It is very, very possible that you will what? That you will get distracted. That things will yes, things will take your attention. 
There are many things out there that would want really us to, to be uh, a part of their business. There are many people there that would want us to be a part of their business. That's not what he did. I want you to pay attention to some of the actions in this man. But how did he respond when he was called? Just at the point of calling his name. He said, here I am. And now, the instruction has been given. So what happens to him in the morning? It's the first thing he does. He wakes up so early. And the thing that he was told to do is the thing he does first thing in the morning. Just pay attention to, to his actions. To his actions. Many of us talk about his faith. But we don't highlight his actions. And this is what is kind of upsetting James. If you, if you pay attention to, to the way James is phrasing his questions, they're, they're a little too sharp. Calls people foolish. Maybe they're not foolish, but uh, they, it's possible to do foolish things. doesn't mean you are foolish. It means you, you have the capacity of engaging in foolishness. Yeah, so when the Bible uses that word, which he, he actually uses it quite a bit, he uses it uh, also when he's talking about this whole idea of people who say there is no God. Says if one says in their heart, in their heart, so that's key also, that's important, in their heart, not even just in their mouth, but in their heart, that there is no God, that is foolishness. So it says to engage in that kind of uh, thinking, he says that's foolishness. Now don't go around calling that person foolish, but it just means that he has the capacity as all of you uh, and I do, to engage in foolishness. Now, James here takes us to this place. Uh, almost a little bit of, uh, I see some, some, some frustration in him. That What kind of people are you? Here I am, uh, your pastor. I'm trying my feeble best to take a step of faith. And you are... <laughs> You are doing everything in your power to fight. Oh, fight is the word. Okay, I'll go with that word. Uh, frustrate, uh, hinder, uh, impede, sabotage. Hey, now that's uh, a little bit of uh, ill intent, sabotage. Because sometimes people are not, they don't have ill intent, but they are clearly being an obstacle. In, in, in how they are coming off. And because you work with them and then you respect them and maybe sometimes you're married to them or you, you really truly care for them. Then you're, you're thinking, but, but maybe I need to think about it. Mr. Zambegwe. Oinachiwagiza kukwata kanya. Na yu muntu aringa kulemesa. Ato omusamwechiti wa muntu woi. Omufako. Atinoga. Then the obstacle becomes even bigger. If it, the obstacle had come from some strange person, it doesn't carry that much weight. So how I pray that all of us, that we get into this uh, Abraham way of living. Mr. Mr. Sebuf, 
kwa inachokiza kwa kuataganya na ati sweetheart na kugamba ne ati kati sweetheart ngino kula sweetheart ringa fuse obstacle kwa mukamba katonda bacha ati obstacle ba side ze no bachiri vekeri wabantu besifako na yato no gwenfa kenyu kati ne bikusobira nawe bikusobira mwawa katonda tonu ne mukamba mulonje mukamba mulonje we are saying that really James wants you and I to really let it sink deep down in our spirit. That these two, when you separate them, they are both ineffective. When you separate faith and actions, they are both ineffective. Because it says in James uh, uh, 2.17 that uh, uh, faith is an act that demonstrates obedience. So pay attention to the word act. It says Deeds and actions of obedience. Deeds and actions of obedience. This is, I think this is going to be my new definition of the word faith. Deeds and actions of obedience. But obedience to what? To what you have believed. To what you have believed. So it's not empty. It's not, uh, what is the word? Some, some people, oh, this is a completely different subject, but I have big... Uh, uh, feelings about it. Some people who don't really care or appreciate or respect people of faith, sometimes they have used very demeaning words to describe people of faith. Sometimes really they have even taken it so far to call them cuckoo, to call them uh, oh, I get into this story that I encountered last night. This woman on the street who ended up being dragged into the hospital and ten, uh, five men had to hold her down to give her this needle. And as she narrated the story to me as we were driving to the shelter, I thought about you actually, Sister Miriam. I almost called you and you would have been of help. I will still call you. <laughs> yes, yeah. She had expressed, she had lived in ways that uh, to somebody who is not a person of faith, they are going to be uh, suspect or suspicious. And once uh, a family member called the police on her, her child got taken away. Her child was four years at the time. And then she was also taken to the hospital. Now she swears to me uh, that she is a hundred percent at that time well, at least at that time there was nothing like anything they were telling her that she has she is schizophrenic that she has a, a a problem all that she had done was to fast for four days how many of you here fast for four days or more <laughs> she, that's all she did she fasted for four days and they were going through this thing at their church and then the mother did not appreciate what was going on and called the police. Long story short, she gets to the hospital for uh, the doctor, does a very quick interview. Do you hear from God? Yeah, yes, I do hear from God. Does God speak to you? Yes, God speaks to me. Do you speak back? Yes, I speak back. That's it. <laughs> so be careful what you say to the doctors when you go to the hospital. Shalom, <laughs> guys. Uh, be careful what you said to uh, the doctors. I have so much respect for doctors as I think I've said that enough times here. Yeah. But when we are talking about things of faith, 
They have some of them, not all of them, some of them have a big, big, big gap or a big limitation or a big uh, deficiency, a big lack of knowledge. Some of them are very, very aware of how much faith plays into people's uh, healing journeys. In fact, in, in spiritual care in the hospitals, you will find that there are some specific doctors as they interact with the patient for like just five minutes, they will catch that this, per this patient would benefit from speaking with, with somebody who understands spirituality. And before you know it, there's some consist consistent doctors who will be making the referrals to spiritual care. Because they know as they engage in this conversation, they notice that, you know what, this person would benefit from speaking with somebody who is more equipped than me to talk about spirituality and how spiritual uh, things have an impact on your, on your journey, on your healing. Some doctors, they will completely dismiss it. They will just up the, 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 the doors. Yes, they'll just up the doors. Just up the doors. So I pray that you and I get into uh, this uh, practice to the point where we don't have to sound or look to gems as people who need proof or evidence that our faith and our works have to go together if we want them to be effective, if we want it to be productive, because faith is what? Faith is a verb. And what's a verb? A doing word. Thank you, Kuberam class. A verb is a doing word. Chikoro. Let's complete the story, and then we go to James, and then we'll pray, and then we'll be out of here. I also take the minute here to invite you. I am speaking uh, somewhere uh, this evening, uh, this at 2 p.m. Uh, so tune in on Facebook. It's a subject that, that grosses me out in terms of uh, knowing a little bit of details about it. It's called elder abuse. The amount of abuse that is going on in the elder population at the hands of not some strangers, family members. We pray that will not be counted among us that the elder among us will report such a, a thing that the people who are supposed to be caring for them are the very people abusing them. So I'm going to be speaking about that for about, uh, I don't know, half hour on this uh, very uh, much needed uh, arrangement that uh, the government of Canada and uh, artists and artisan development network have put together and Red Cross I was uh, given the opportunity to, to be one of the speakers. So I invite you to tune in at 2 p.m. I will be uh, there. So I'm going to be sitting somewhere. Hopefully the choir, hopefully the, the practice will be done by 2 p.m. that I can sit in there and attend to this. Genesis. Let's read the story up to verse 14. We go back to James. We pray and then we will go home. Verse 3. Let's go verse 2, 4. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So picture all those things he has to look. God had told him that I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you where the place is. But now you have to do the, the part that you need to do. To act. So you look up. Everywhere you find an action, I want you to underline it. I want you to underline it. Everywhere you find an action, underline it. Looking is an action. Hopefully you see when you look. Sometimes people look, but they don't see. 
On the third day, uh, verse 5, and Abraham said to his servants, Settle down and stay here with the donkey, and I and the young man will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, that's a deep statement of faith. He's saying that I'm going to go, I'm going to go sacrifice my son as the Lord has instructed me, and then we'll come back to you. Notice all the action there. So he gets the donkey. He tells, he instructs the, the other men, the, his servants to stay. Because can you imagine if they had come with him up there? If they had come with him up there, I'd never thought of this. I am so confident that as he raises his sword to take the action, I'm sure before the angel uh, calls Abraham to stop, I'm sure those servants will be stopping him already. If they had come. But notice what he does. He's acting in faith. He says to them, no, you're going to stay here, down here. And I'm going to go up there with him so that I can worship and come again. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on the... Notice all the actions there. And laid it on the shoulders of Isaac, his son. And he took the fire, the fire pot in his own hand and a knife. And the two of them went on together. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, And Isaac said to Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, See, here are the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt sacrifice? I love Isaac. Isaac clues in. He gets a clue. Okay, what's going on here? I think I'm getting concerned. I see the fire, I see, I see everything else. But I don't see the lamb. I want you to notice also in that, that statement tells you that Abraham had said nothing to Isaac about what was going to happen up there in terms of Isaac. He didn't say to Isaac that you are the, you are the offering. He didn't say that. So these instructions that God gives you and I sometimes, some of them, we don't need to say them in detail. You can say just enough to get people with you to, to do whatever help that they, they're going to give. Because sometimes you're going to need the help of others to be able to do what God is asking you to do. But you don't have to go into every detail. They may not be ready to carry that much detail. Imagine if you had told Isaac the entire detail. That would have been a big burden to give that young man to walk up knowing that I am going to be the sacrifice. Chloe. That would have been too much to give to this young man. But he's saying to in that, that you don't have to spill out everything. Verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Abraham said, my son, huh, underline that. God, this is faith. Now this is faith spoken out. God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two went on together. I want you to notice that at this point, Abraham has not at all with his eyes seen the lamb he's talking about. 
He has not. He's speaking in faith. Faith here is taking on action, motion. Now faith is, faith is now is, is in motion. By virtue of his words, he's speaking out the thing he is believing in his heart. That God will provide. In fact, that place turns out to be labeled exactly that name. God will provide. Verse 9. Verse 9, he says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and then laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the wood. Now, at that point, Isaac does not uh, throw a tantrum. You children, uh, listen, Sammy. Isaac does not throw a tantrum at that point and say, Hey, Daddy, what is this you are doing? No, he responds in obedience. Now, this is a very difficult thing to even talk about. I really, uh, the, the, more, the point I'm trying to emphasize is not so much the, the action there, but the faith, the obedience that this son demonstrates when his father ties him up and puts him on. Because at that point, he knows that, oh, all this time, I am the offering. But he doesn't go in through, into some... Uh, Some guy says he doesn't call 911. Well, today you might have to call 911, but we'll talk about that. Don't lose the point here. The point we're talking about is obedience. Is obedience. That is what we're talking about. Uh, what is the next verse? Verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took hold of the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He answered, as he always did, here I am. And verse 12, the Bible says, and he said, do not lay your son, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear and revere God, since you have not held back from me or begrudged, begrudged, he did not begrudge giving me your son, your only son. And verse 13, then Abraham looked up and glanced around and behold, behind him was a, a, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering and an ascending sacrifice instead of his son. And verse 14, as we conclude there, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, that is the example that James, if you were not, uh, if you were having any uh, second thoughts to believe what James is saying to you, he takes you to that example that you and I will know, will know without a shadow of a doubt that faith and action, if you want it to be, if it's going to be productive, it's going to be effective, it will have to cooperate. That is the word he uses. It is going to have to work together. May you stand. May you stand as we go back to taking this word standing this time. I feel like reading it from a different version right now. My brother, if you have... Uh, NIV, let's read it together as we take it in. 
deep down in our spirit. Read it with your heart as we allow James to as you allow yourself to be bothered by these questions as you think of those areas in your life where yes, you know in, in, in terms of words, you know that you, you believe that God is definitely asking you to do something about this thing. But you also aware that for so many years you have taken your own human steps and nothing has changed. Or even worse, to be here, uh, to be as specific here, you know that an act needs to be done, but you have not. And you have reasoned it out. Remember, I told you things you reason out, you won't be able to change. The Bible says, as we read these words to ourselves, take this to your heart as we, as we get into the end of this word. I'm just going to read without stopping. Verse chapter 2, the book of James. We are starting from verse 14, and we are reading to verse 26. The Bible says, and what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims... I want you to hear this message coming from the heart of James to yours. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And verse 19 says, you believe that there is one God well, God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? That's another question, pointed question that I want you to really take home. And he says in verse 21, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? For what, what? For what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith and his you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. We're going to read this one more time. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. We're going to read this another time. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. I said one more time, that's what we're going to do. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. When? 
when the thing he believed, he put it in action. When he acted on what he believed, don't you ever flatter yourself to say that you will go and do it. You don't need faith. You will just keep doing actions and actions. He's saying that is foolishness. He says, those two, if you separate them, they are going to be unproductive. Says in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Maybe next time we'll read that story. So he says, the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this word that you have chosen to send exactly at the time that you knew that was the best time to send it. For your word is never late, it is never delayed, it is always on time, it is always timely. God, the same way you have sent this word, I pray that you would send your rains. God, in this moment, I even pause to take a minute to send an invitation to any one of your children, to any one of your people in the audience who for as long as they remember they have not taken the step to express this faith that they have placed in you. Lord, I invite them to receive you this day. I invite them to take the step, the boldness to take the step of faith to express that which you have, they have believed. For the Bible says that with our mouth, we profess that which we have believed in our heart. That once we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he died and he rose from the grave, and we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive salvation. Lord, I thank you for your children that are receiving you right now. Those that for once, they have decided to take the step after hearing your word. Those that have acted on that faith that they have and they have this day opened their mouth to say that yes, I receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. That from this day you come into my life, take over. And I repent all my iniquities. I repent all my shortcomings. I repent my sins. And I receive you today for the cleansing and washing away of my sin. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for this word. May your waters, may your rains come. May you send your rains to irrigate this seed. May we live long enough to see the harvest of this word. Give us the wisdom, give us the discipline to apply it. Give us the strength, give us the courage to live by it. That will be known as people of faith. That will be known as people that are obedient when you call. Lord, in the same breath, we ask for your forgiveness for times we have conducted ourselves as though that we didn't know that you were with us. For the times we have doubted you. For the times we have acted in doubt. 
for the times we have been our own obstacle in doing the things that you have clearly instructed us to do. May you raise Abrahams in us. May you raise Abrahams in us who will do, who will respond the same way he responded every time you called on him. Those that are going to respond with, here I am. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In the same breath, we are lifting up every single one among us who is aching in some way or form. We are trusting that your word has the ability to heal. We are sending that word that it will heal. Lord, in a very special way, I commit every single person here who is going through some immigration case, some immigration story. Lord, I pray that your uncommon favor will go ahead of them that they will be received as they go. They will be received with favor that is not common. Go ahead of them, and above all, comfort them as they go. I reassure them that you are with them, that the same way you brought them from Uganda or from whichever country they came from, that is the same way that you're going to stay with them in every single step of their way as they navigate this new land. May your comforting presence be with them. May your shield be with them. May you guard and guide every single word that they're going to be required to say. May you bring along people that are going to be a blessing to them. May you bring along people that are going to surround them and shower them with love. May you cause them to love you more. May you cause them to know you more. May you cause them to serve you more. All to the glory of your name. We pray for your peace, that peace that you promise when we pray, that it will come and seize and take over every single heart that is anxious. Have your way, have your way, have your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, with thanksgiving in our hearts, we have prayed. Amen. Amen.